This is John Shannon with Radio Free Galisteo, and today I am speaking with Kathy Reichs, who many of you are probably familiar with because of her New York Times bestselling Bones series, which also for many years was a uh, hit Fox TV series, which she also was a producer of. Kathy has just released her 21st novel in the Bones series, and it's called Cold Cold Bones. And for those of you who don't know about Kathy Reichs, she is also Dr. Kathy Reichs, forensic anthropologist. So she knows what she's talking about. And so do her characters as a result. And Temperance Brennan is the heroine of her uh, Bone series. Temperance is faced with some very interesting circumstances in Cold Cold Bones, including the return of her daughter from Afghanistan. Kathy, why don't you just give everybody a, a quick overview of this book and how it's different from some of the, the other ones and how it's related to some of your, your previous ones in the series. Well, this one is definitely related to the earlier ones. The book opens with my favorite line, I think, of all my books. It, it began with an eyeball. <laughs> and that's exactly what happens. Tempe is helping Katie, who has just retired from the military, move into her new home in Charlotte, North Carolina, which Tempe's very happy about that she's chosen to live there. And they spend the whole day unpacking boxes and decide to go to Tempe's house for dinner. And they arrive there and find another box on her porch, a box being the last thing they wanted to see, having spent the whole day opening boxes. And they open it and there's an eyeball inside, a human eyeball, a fresh human eyeball. Hmm. So etched onto the eyeball, Katie, it turns out, has incredible vision. So she sees with a magnifier that their GPS coordinates etched onto the side of this eyeball. So, of course, our intrepid heroine has to follow those to see where they lead. They take her to a Benedictine monastery where she, let me just say, she makes another grisly discovery. Okay. And then not long after that, her boss, the medical examiner, sends her out to recover a body from a state park. It turns out to be a mummified corpse hanging from a tree, an apparent suicide. And I've had cases like that in my past. So these seem to be completely unrelated, just random, nothing in common. And yet something is bugging Tempe. And she just eventually she figures out they are related. And what they are is copycat cases of things she's done in her past. Somebody is mimicking earlier cases from her past. So Tempe has to figure out why and who and shut it down. And her daughter is somehow related to this, yes? Yeah, Katie is back and she's a little prickly and unpredictable. Turns out she's probably suffering some PTSD due to her two deployments to, mm -hmm. to the Middle East. Tempe's having to do with that, deal with that. Katie's having to figure out what she wants to do with the rest of her life now that she's retired from the army. And um, yeah, so she's very much a part of this story. For me, that's particularly interesting. I, I had two tours in Afghanistan myself, so I, I was immediately uh, drawn to uh, the, the daughter and uh, what she's going through. Mm -hmm. This is, I guess, related. I don't want to veer too far off the, the book, but PTSD is a common, very common in combat veterans. But I'm interested in both 
Tempe's potential PTSD for dealing with all of these gruesome things that she's had to deal with throughout her career. And consequently, also you. I know that you had been in Rwanda uh, doing work there. You'd been at uh, Ground Zero at 9-11. How is Tempe affected or not? And how how have you been affected through the years? Um, Yeah, the only... I've also been to Afghanistan. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> we went on a USO tour there. The only time I really felt like I was, because to go into my profession, you have to have a certain psychological makeup. You really yeah. have to be able to deal with violent death on a regular basis. But 9-11, that was tough. We did 13-hour uh, shifts. We just spent time digging through debris, trying to recover fragments of human remains because it was a it was a very fragmentary um we didn't do much id we just collected it and tagged it and bagged it and then the medical examiner would come for it for later dna testing but that was tough everybody everybody was fragile you know the whole country wanted to do something donate money or food or clothes or blood or whatever and so we were we were lucky i guess and that we actually could get in and physically dig to try to recover victims, but it was, um, I had some, I, and I had to leave early. Normally you'd be deployed out and you'd have a debriefing to be sure you're okay. But I had to leave early because of a death in the family. So I didn't have the benefit of any of that. And I, I think I did have uh, some residual, you know, nightmares and just flashbacks and that kind of thing. Certainly. So temperance, does she have, is she just tough as nails or does she deal with these sort of things uh, throughout the series at, at various points? Yeah, she's pretty tough, but she's, um, I, when I was exhuming a mass grave in Guatemala, I went down there with a man named Clyde Snow and I remember he was being interviewed and Clyde said, you know, if you have to cry, you cry later at home in your bed, but not while you're doing the work. While you're at the site, you just, you just focus on what you're doing and otherwise you're not going to be able to do a very good job. So I've always adhered to that. Just from a soldier's perspective, it's the same thing. I think you you do you do your duty, you do the job at hand, and then uh, grieve later, or uh, or not, or tamp it down, and then pay for it later. <laughs> so, boy, I'm so hesitant. I don't want to give uh, anything away about the books. Let's let's talk about the series itself. This is the 21st in your series. Where's Temperance right now in terms of her career and what she's thinking of doing for the future? Well, she's, I think of her as just mid-career. One of the questions every author of a continuing character series has to address is, do you age your character? Hmm. Do you age them in real time? Or do you just ignore that and keep them this? And some authors do it one way, some do it the other way. I've aged her very, very gradually. She started out in the first book as being somewhat north of 40. And in this book, she's just a bump further north of 40. So I think the cat is now 50 years old. But, you know, she's really not aging or thinking about wrapping up her career or anything like that. She's just keeping on. And being a parent, dealing with a daughter who's taken on a uh, a risky profession. Um, yes, herself. yes. She is very relieved that Katie is now. And Katie had came, we, we learned this in earlier books, Katie came into some money. And so she's deciding what she wants to do with that. And she really wants to do something for vets. 
to homeless, particularly homeless vets. So she, in this book, she's trying to work through that and figure out how to do it, how to set up a foundation. And she's working from the ground up as a volunteer at a homeless shelter in Charlotte. This is Radio Free Galisteo. Music and information from the Galisteo Basin. Radio Free Galisteo is listener supported. Go to www.radiofreegalisteo.com and click on our Patreon support button to become an active supporting member of Radio Free Galisteo. As a combat veteran myself, a disabled combat veteran, I really appreciate the fact that you are shining a light on that. Why did you bring that into your work? Well, my husband was a Marine way back in the day. He went to Vietnam. but And also when we went over with the USO tour, which is, I don't know, five or six years ago, we did a couple of them. I did one to Afghanistan and one to Cuba. Mm-hmm. And we went to thank the troops for their service and they just spent all their time thanking us for coming. You know? sure. And it was, it was a real moving experience. So I've tried to, um, my book, Spider Bones. No, that's not true. Spider Bones is based on the work I did consulting to the military in Hawaii for the Central Identification Lab. We've given our troops a promise. If we send you overseas, we will bring you home. Mm-hmm. So there are permanent labs that do nothing but repatriate remains from mainly Southeast Asia, but also Korea and World War II. So partly, okay, so I had that experience with the military. And then I did go to Afghanistan and the book, hmm, Bones Never Lie, I think is the one that was the Afghanistan book. So I've totally wandered away from your question. Actually, I think you answered it right at the beginning, but you didn't really wander. You you gave a number of good okay. good reasons why. So thank you. Let me take something that's com- sort of completely separate, but I guess somewhat related. As a forensic anthropologist, and, and we're here in northern New Mexico, so we have a long history of native people living here grave sites, construction happens. What do you think are the, the ramifications or, or how do you deal with the ramifications of either disturbing or excavating bones of indigenous ancestors? Well, there's very precise legislation was passed. Oh, I always underestimate. It's got to be 20 years now, at least. Indigenous remains either have to be turned back over to the tribe with which they're, the group with which they're affiliated which can be difficult to figure out. You know, a lot of the archaeological materials that have been in museums or on shelves or wherever all the all these years, they're trying to get it back to the proper people, but it's not always easy to show, you know, something that, that dates to 5,000 years ago, which, who do you give it to kind of thing. But I think that's really quite uh, regulated with national legislation as well as each state I think has their own archaeological regulations governing what you can can and can't do with Native American remains. Mm-hmm. Is that anything you've ever had to deal with? Fortunately, I have not. We had some at the lab at UNC Charlotte, but I had already retired from teaching, gone on sabbatical at least, and then never went back. So whoever my successor was probably had to deal with that. As we mentioned at the outset, you're uh, the uh, an international best-selling author. Um, are are you still working regularly as a forensic anthropologist? Yeah, I retired just a few years ago. 
so I'm focusing on writing now. There was a point at which I was writing an adult novel, a young adult novel, a, a screenplay for the show, and trying to do casework as well. It just became too much. So I pretty much I'm available if if the lab should need me, but I'm pretty much phased out of that and focusing on the writing. You mentioned a screenplay. Is there a movie on the horizon with uh, Temperance? No, I would write episodes while we were still on air. I would write episodes of the show. Mm -hmm. So, No plans to uh, take this to the big screen? I don't think so. Um, I optioned the character to Fox, which is now Disney. You know, if they wanted to do that, we, the, certainly they wouldn't make another television show of it unless right. it was just a reunion. Sometimes we talk about because that's popular now to do a re reunion thing like Friends or whoever. That's a possibility, I suppose. And I think everybody would be up for that. But not at the moment. Not at the moment. There's also the viral series that I wrote with my son, which is young about. Do you want to yeah, yeah. do you want to talk about that briefly? Sure. That's uh, Temperance Brennan's 14 year old great niece, Tori Brennan, and her friends who solve mysteries and cold cases. It's kind of a middle school, high school level books, mm -hmm. and um, those stories are equally as complex as the Temperance Brennan. They're big, thick books. Kids want their money's worth, so the stories are equally as complex and multi layered. What difference is uh, the the dialogue, obviously. 14-year-old kids don't talk like 50-year-old homicide detectives. And the social concerns, you know, they're teenagers. So um, those are fun. Those are very popular in school libraries, I'm told, that, that uh, the libraries really like them. And that's with your son? Yes, yes. We did six of them, and it was a very interesting experience because he's a lawyer. He's a litigator. So when we'd have our editorial meetings, it could be inter interesting. I'll stick with that word. Not litigious. <laughs> Not litigious. No, we were pretty good at, you know, taking off our mother-son hats and putting on our co-author hats. Very good. Tell us about what you're working on now. Well, I'm working on book number 22 in the series. It's called The Bone Hacker. Hmm. What can I tell you about that one? It involves some cyber crime. Ah. And also the victims, some victims, and it takes place partly in the Turks and Caicos Islands. And victims are found with their hands hacked off. So you can see what I'm doing there. The hacker being the cyber and the bone hacker. Kind of. Got yeah. it. And that's all we're going to get for today. Because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to write it. <laughs> okay. Finished. Your bone series, uh, what, what do you think uh, is going to be the, the lasting impact of these stories? Gosh, I don't know. You know, I write good old fashioned murder mysteries. The difference mm -hmm. is the thrillers. So there's more of a risk, a danger element to the, to the main character or those around her. But the difference is that the solutions are driven by science, not by gut instinct or good old fashioned detective gumshoe work, but science. And in each of the books, I try to bring in a different kind of forensic science, whether it's bite mark analysis or DNA from cat hair or knots, the analysis of knots in strangulation cases. Each one, I try to introduce the reader to something new and different. And hopefully, you know, they'll remember that and remember that they've learned a little something and had fun reading the books along the way. Have you, and I'm, I'm guessing the answer is yes, but we'll find out. Have you had young people write to you and say, you know what, uh, you influenced my career and I, I went and followed this as a result 
uh, of reading your books? I have all the time. Either they'll say I got into university and into a program or I actually finished my, I, someone just tell me she finished her PhD in, in forensic anthropology. So that happens all the time. And I, or I'll get inquiries about, I want to get into a program. What do you recommend kind of thing? Well, I'd say that's a that's a really wonderful lasting impact that you've uh, you've created with your work. As we're getting ready to wind up, what kind of advice would you give to to young people who want to follow that career path? I would say I often hear from students that say, "Oh, I'm I'm working on a degree in forensic science," and to me, that's not terribly useful. You're going to learn about forensic science and what it can do, but you're not going to learn a particular skill. So I usually say, you know, study chemistry or study anthropology or study something that's going to give you a skill that a crime lab is going to want. They don't often want to hear that, but. (laughs) But that's the way to do it. That's my view, my humble opinion. Uh, Okay. It should carry some weight, I think. The book is Cold Cold Bones, and it is written by international best-selling author Kathy Reichs. Kathy, I'm guessing we can find this book just about everywhere. Am I correct? Yes, uh, it, wherever books are sold, um, online or in what are you know private independent bookstores. I always like to support them. Or you can go to my website, which is kathyreichs.com, and there are links from that. And we'll certainly put that up uh, with the podcast so people can travel that direction to find your your works and more information about you. Any final thoughts today as we wind up? Well, I I hope people try the book and I hope they like it. This one is fun because it takes them back to earlier books and they can not only try to solve the puzzle of the crime, but also try to solve, well, which of the earlier books is this drawing upon? So it's a double, it's a double challenge. Wonderful for new readers and exciting for people who followed the series. Kathy, thanks so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Have you ever been out here to Northern New Mexico? I love that part of the country. I love the desert. Many of my colleagues have been out there at the University of Las Cruces. Is that that? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, down south Las Cruces and up here uh, in Albuquerque. uh, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. If you're ever out this way, stop by and see us. We'll be happy to have you. Thank you so much. And thank you. And for Radio Free Galisteo, I'm John Shannon.